Welcome to Stacy on the Right here on Family Vision Media. It's the podcast again, and I am joined today by my friend Heather Hunter. She's a writer, broadcast journalist, and visiting fellow at Independent Women's Forum, one of my favorite organizations, by the way. Heather, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Stacy. It's so wonderful to be talking to you right now. It's been a while. It has. It feels like it's been ages, but then in our business, I feel like ages, schmages, it can be five years, it can be one month when we see each other again. It's like, oh, you know, it's, and we all just kind of fall in and start reminiscing and thinking about the future and broadcasting. Well, you've been pretty impressive, Stacey, in all that you've done. It's such a thrill to talk to you. I'm, I'm always excited to see your next book and all the various things that you work on. So you're, I hope to grow up to be Stacey one day. Oh, my goodness. That's a bit too much, but I, it's so kind of you to say. So I know when we were just getting ready to come onto the podcast, I was asking you about your two beautiful children, and they are approaching or just at the cusp of being school age, at least your oldest right now. Is that right? That's correct. I have a preschooler at four years old, and then I have a five-year-old kindergartner that just started this year in August. So yeah, we've started the journey of getting into school age, and I actually started becoming a homeschool mom while also being a working mom. So it's been quite an adventure this year. Okay, so Heather, this is, to me, so apropos and so perfect for what is going on in 2022 today, because a lot of moms might say, well... I don't have what it takes to be a homeschool mom or I can't homeschool because and the things that they list off are valid concerns. So I'm not minimizing any reticence that a person might have in this area. But Heather, you're talking about a kindergartner. So it's the very beginning. It's still school. There's still curriculum. How are you finding it? And what was the determining factor for you and your husband when you were making the choice between you being their primary teacher or sending them to public school or private? It was quite a journey this year, a lot of praying, a lot of figuring out what's best for the family, a lot of logistics as well. When you're trying to figure out how to be a homeschool parent and a working parent, you're thinking, okay, gosh, okay, there's a lot of things I have to check off to even make this possible. I have to think about my work. How do I do my job and also be a homeschool mom? Do I just quit my job? But how can we afford that in a two-income economy? So then you're thinking, okay, is there a way I could be remote? And then, you know, I I looked at with the pandemic, a lot of workplaces went remote for a temporary amount of time to try to deal with the pandemic. And then it made some workplaces realize that, oh, it's actually possible for my workers to be remote. And so then, you know, you might have an opening where you can negotiate with your work to try to be remote if homeschooling is something you want to do. There are some moms that also are working, and they might work a nine-to-five job, but they also figure out ways of doing that where maybe they homeschool at night or they have a job that they're able to also do afternoons or they have a mix of tutors and some co-ops and there's homeschool pods and there's so many options today if you want to homeschool. And I struggled with the idea of, you know, it's so much easier to put your kid on a bus and go to public school, but then I didn't like the area we lived in as far as the grades of the schools were like a four out of a 10. And even though we're living near DC in a very expensive area, I didn't feel comfortable sending them to public school. And I didn't feel comfortable with the curriculum that they were getting, as we saw in all the news. And you go through every video on lives of TikTok and you go, wow, hashtag homeschool, hashtag homeschool. <laughs> and, and, you, and, you, and you just go, oh my gosh, what is my options here? I guess I need to homeschool or maybe it's a Christian school or a Catholic school, 
But then I also had parents who worked in education. My mom worked for the school board. My dad was a public school history teacher. And I talked to them a lot about what they thought of the education system today. And it's very different than I think we grew up in. And it's changed a lot. There's kind of an agenda behind the education today that may have existed, but now it's so overt and it's so in your face. And if you thought as a parent that you were going to get all the, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic for your kids, then you might go, okay, well, maybe public school is a decent option. But now you're not even getting that. You're getting (laughs) a lot of lessons that you didn't even anticipate. And I've talked to numerous moms even today who are like, what's this new pronoun? These, they, theirs, theirs. Like there's new pronouns the kids are learning that didn't even exist a few years ago. There's just all sorts of curriculum that you just didn't realize was going to happen. I did kind of a soul searching about, do we move? How do I afford this? How do we do this? And so we did kind of logistically figure it out. We did move this year. We still live in the D.C. area, but we figured out a better area to live in and just places that are friendlier to our political point of view. Oh, my gosh. It makes such a huge difference, doesn't it, to just be in a community where people are, even if they're just open. I don't require homogeneity just to be able to say, we all live on the same street and we're all neighbors. And so regardless of politics, I keep an eye out when I know you're on vacation. You know, if a package comes, I take it into my house and text you and say, hey, come get your package. I mean, that's old America and it should still be current America, in my opinion. You would think. And I found that as soon as somebody found out what we did for a living working at talk radio, suddenly the, you know, love Trump's hate sign would pop up and every single progressive sign that would pop up that showed tolerance was actually the most intolerant (laughs) sign to throw out there in the yard. But, you know, they wanted to make the stance that we stand against you in the neighborhood. And it was like, wait a minute, we've barely had two words to each other as neighbors, but yet now you're trying to make political statements in your front yard every morning to me. (laughs) (laughs) Which, honestly, you could be in agreement with them on some of that. That's what's so funny is Republicans are not a homogenous group. It's the reason why we have all these screaming matches about the so-called rhinos, Mitt Romney and all those ones who they vote with the Democrats. So you never know if the Republican neighbor you have is a hardcore right-wing extremist. What did he say? Ultra MAGA? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or they could actually be a little bit towards the middle. But The assumption is that you're something evil just because they've learned about what you do for a living, as opposed to finding out what's your favorite thing to make when, you know, you hear she has a cold and all of the kids are down with a cold and you're bringing over chicken soup or butternut squash soup or, you know, you might actually be the friend she's never, ever known she needed the most. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's that human experience. We all have family members of varied viewpoints. And so, I mean, we're people at the end of the day, you know, we're God's children. And so... There's just this judgment that's already put on everyone as soon as we, you know, realize what their political viewpoints are. And even then, there's a lot more nuance to what people think about issues than just what is said about what people think about issues. And sometimes people have reasons for why they think a certain way. Sometimes they had a personal experience that made them think a certain way. And so I think we all need to be a lot more charitable about our neighbors and how we deal with them. And so we were just kind of looking for a more peaceful place to live. And we had lived in Montgomery County, Maryland, and it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't that. So we moved away from that and found a better area for our kids. And then also more space and safer neighborhoods. And 
that kind of made the homeschooling possible because we also were able to get more space for getting a homeschool room. And now there's a lot of moms who do it over the kitchen table or they do it wherever in the house. And that's great. You know, you could do what works for you. But we were able to get a room specifically for that. And I think that helps the kids kind of focus, like this is the room where you go to do this. And it also just kind of helped focus me as well. And I had read some great books by Susan Weiss-Bauer called The Well-Trained Mind. And that's a great guide to classical education at home. And it gave me a lot of thoughts about teaching the curriculum and how to think about the grammar stage of elementary school and, you know, kind of the building blocks for memorization and rules and, and also how to even just deal with reading, writing, geography, even foreign languages. And I got a lot of ideas from even some other homeschool moms about how they do it. And I started to realize it's possible and that I could balance it. And there's so many curriculums out there, too, that you just go to Kathy Duffy Reviews is a great website. She reviews all these homeschool curriculums. So it tells you exactly what you're going to get when you look at these curriculums. And there's a lot of YouTube videos out there of moms reviewing certain curriculums and what they thought of the curriculum and how it worked for them and how they implemented it. And even there's a lot of Facebook groups for moms as well, whether it's, you know, homeschool moms by county or homeschool moms by state. And a lot of them will give each other advice. You could just put a question out there like, what did you think of Abeka? What did you think of Good and the Beautiful or Sunlight or different curriculums? And 10 minutes later, there's 100 comments of moms going, oh, well, I did this. I love this. You know, you should also add this. And it's incredible. There's a huge community out there of moms who are heavily involved in this and who are so helpful and willing to give you advice. And I was like, wow, okay, this is possible. And then even a lot of people argue, well, what about socialization and other kids? And I've never thought that actually was a real argument because a lot of homeschool kids are actually very social and are very smart and have a lot of experiences with other kids. They have a lot of multi-generational experiences, whether in church or social groups, or there's a lot of sports groups now for kids. I mean, I have my kids in chorus and going to start some sports with them next year and some dance. There's no danger of them not being socialized. I mean, unless your homeschool is on a mountaintop (laughs) in a remote area where you have to have packages dropped off by a helicopter, they're going to see other kids and they're going to spend time. The other thing is the idea that, Heather, that you're homeschooling them. So you're taking them out of an environment where people are competing for the ideological viewpoint of your child. You're choosing to teach them yourself so you can train them up in the way they should go yourself, which is our biblical mandate as parents. But then the other part is even the most perfect parent-child relationship, children still want to be around other short people is what we used to call them when our kids were really small. We'd say, oh, the short people are coming and then each one has a friend over. So there's six kids because we had three kids and they're all close in age. And so they all come in and they're looking for food, but they want to eat so they can go back to being in their little group of six short people. And so kids always find a way to socialize and parents find a way because you want your children, like you said, you have opportunities for them to be in plays, you have sports, you have music lessons. There's so much for them to do. And so it's not that there's nothing out there. It's that people tend to segregate off homeschool kids and act as if they're some kind of anomaly when they're the smartest, they're the best behaved, they have the 
strongest ability to negotiate difficult situations. They have a lot more self-control. All of the statistics point towards homeschooling being a very, very good way of raising children and educating them while still taking advantage of everything that is available to us. Absolutely right. I occasionally write stories as well for different news sites. And I once did a report on there was this boy who was 11 years old and he was going to Harvard. And everyone on social media and on the web were like, oh, my gosh, there's no way that this 11-year-old could handle being with adults at Harvard. But what's fascinating about him was that a lot of kids who are advanced in age also are extremely mature beyond their years. And people don't understand that. There are a lot of kids who we put them in a certain grade and assume that that is the level where they are at. And actually, a lot of kids are mentally much farther than the average, my daughter's five years old, but she may be at a seven-year-old level or even higher as far as intellect or even social skills. Because when you're around multi-generational experiences, you are actually communicating at a much higher level than kids your average age. So you're not only gathering a much higher level vocabulary and humor and just all these different social skills that you gather with everyone that you engage with. I was just fascinated by this kid who went to Harvard and everyone who talked to him said that this kid actually gravitated to older kids. He loves hanging out with older kids. And so I'm curious to see this story about him when he graduates. But I mean, he loved being around older kids and he loved learning from older kids. And that's the key thing is that we used to have this idea, the schoolhouse approach where younger kids learn from older kids, where multiple kids would be in the same schoolhouse, multiple ages, and they kind of learn from each other. And now we separate kids by grades and we make them feel like you're at this level and you can't learn any more than this. We almost set kids back than what their potential is. And I think that kids can learn so much more by just letting them grow. My daughter, we're flying through math right now. There's this Right Start Math program, and she is just flying through it. I think we're going to probably finish it months before the year's over. And so we'll probably get into first grade long before kindergarten's over because she's just so smart and picking it up in the language arts. I mean, we'll probably be in first grade (laughs) starting in the spring. And it's just, you can go so much faster with kids. It's fascinating to see them grow. And even in social experiences, I had another homeschool family come over and their kids are about similar-ish ages. And we did a Thanksgiving video where we had the girls act out the story of Thanksgiving. And I actually got a cardboard boat And so they came over on the Mayflower, and they were dressed as pilgrims, and some kids dressed as Native Americans, and my youngest was dressed as the king. They went through the whole story about why they left England, and also what the Mayflower voyage was about, and also what it was like to be pilgrims in early America. And so they were able to kind of learn that experience, and we made a video of it, and we showed her grandfather when he came to visit for Thanksgiving. And it was a neat experience because the kids got to be with other homeschool kids and they got to learn that story hands-on by doing that little kind of theatrical video experience. And I think you don't quite get that out of some of the schools that they go through. And even though it's a lot of props and a lot of planning and all that, it's fun as a homeschool mom to kind of plan out, okay, how can I get the kids to learn the most out of these experiences? And even learning science, we were doing a lesson about lightning, and we learned a lot about electricity and Benjamin Franklin, and we 
did a whole study about electricity because she's so fascinated by weather. And then I had them do like a TV weather girl video where she was explaining to me what was going on outside with the rain and what the clouds were about and what creates lightning. And, you know, she was able to kind of actively hands-on learn that. I think she's getting a much better education and uh, we're following the curriculum. So it's not like she's not getting the same curriculum that other kids are getting in schools, but I think it's more involved and more hands-on and a lot of play, a lot of learning. And I love doing it. So it's a lot of fun as a mom, even though it's work because I'm a working mom, but it's still, you know, it's neat. Well, I love the fact that you talk about your daughter going through more than a year's worth of curriculum. I was an elected school board member, and one of the things that's most shocking, most parents don't realize, that because your child leaves at about 8 a.m. and they get to school at 8.30 if they're riding the bus, or maybe they're getting there and they're starting at about, you know, a little after 8, and they're getting done, the bell is ringing at 2.55. Do you think to yourself, that's a lot of education they're getting during the day? Well, If you look at your state law, most states require 4.5 hours of instructional time a day. So the rest of those hours, almost five additional hours, your child is walking up and down hallways, waiting for a teacher to come back from the copy room, sitting quietly for quiet time. They're eating. They're in the library hanging out where now it's not safe because there's pornographic books in there. They're watching movies or news programs on televisions that are wheeled into the room. They're waiting while their teacher struggles with a whiteboard for 40 minutes at a time because a lot of the technology doesn't work as well as it was sold. It's so much wasted time. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredible what you can do one-on-one with a kid versus dealing with a classroom of 20 kids. So 19 other kids, the teacher's having to make sure that all those other kids are learning Mm -hmm. the same lesson. Have they gotten it as well? And when you know that your child has gotten it, then you keep moving on. You just keep moving. But if you're having to wait for everybody to catch up, you're not going to go as fast. And it's not like the kids aren't getting the social experience. And I mean, there's plenty of co-ops that parents are getting together. There's play dates. There's like we talked about before with lessons of, of various social gatherings. And I think there's a mythology that goes around school in that, well, these teachers, they're credentialed, they have all these degrees, and they do, but you as a parent also taught your kid the very basics of life, and it's not like you didn't go through the education system yourself, so you still know these things as well, and there's curriculum to also help you with that. The exciting thing as a parent, too, is you're kind of reminding yourself of these things that you knew back in these, like, filing system in your head, <laughs> but you just haven't used it in a while, and then now you are giving that to your kids, all that stuff that you, you had learned, and sometimes you're even learning new things as you're prepping the lesson and pulling that all together, and it's just a myth to say that kids are learning right now in the system, and it's sad because I think, you know, no man's an island, and public school kids should be getting the same opportunity as my daughter I want them to succeed because, you know, my daughter will probably marry a public school kid one day or even work with them. You know, we're all in the same society together and we want all of them to succeed. And what's sad is we are seeing reading and math test scores just falling, plummeting across the United States. And yes, it was happening during the pandemic, after the pandemic. It was happening even before that, though. I mean, they were leaving out phonics, a building block of learning. There was Mm -hmm. all these trends that were going on in school that was all these progressive educator ideas that were creeping into the education that set back a lot of kids. 
And I mean, I have a family member, um, one of my in-laws is a third grade teacher. And he's like, there's kids who are coming to me who can't read yet. How do I start to teach them third grade when they haven't even started? You know, I mean, the pandemic hurt them a lot. But there's kids even above that who are now seventh grade who still haven't learned how to read properly. Like they still don't have those basics to help them fully learn because we've had all these progressive ideas of whole language learning and all this stuff that has been detrimental for kids for decades and they're not getting everything they need. And as a parent, it's your job. I mean, you know, God trusted us to teach our children about truth and love and biblical worldview. And so it's our job to make sure that these kids are getting what they need and God has a purpose for them. He has a purpose for you and for all of us in this world. And so we need to take care of these kids and make sure that they're getting everything that God wanted them to have. It's long days, but, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm serving and hopefully I'm doing God's good purpose that way. You are. I will just jump in here right away and say, when we first start talking, you mentioned Susan Bauer and A Well-Trained Mind, and that was the book that I read. My kids were already in school. They were in public school, a really great public school, or so we thought. And as they began to get out of grammar school, I began to notice how the worldview indoctrination was ticking up. And then I just stumbled across Susan Bauer and the Well-Trained Mind. And a friend of mine was talking, she's a homeschool mom, talking about homeschooling her kids and using the Susan Bauer Well-Trained Mind method. I got the book, took a look at it. I was like, oh my gosh. So my kids are smart and I know they could receive this information as well. I tried to lobby my husband to move them to private school. He was like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) We bought this house in this district for this school district. You are on the school board. What do you mean? And I was like, well, I said, Lord, if it's going to happen, it's going to have to be you because he doesn't want to hear from me on this. So I just shut my mouth and the kids started coming home. And every night at dinner, they'd have another story. And I would just be sitting there eating. And my husband would look over at me and I would just look back, you know, ever so sweetly like, I'm not saying a thing. These are our children. They're telling you what they're learning in school. And about a year later, we moved them to a classical Christian school where they learned rhetoric and they actually used Susan Bauer books as a part of the curriculum that they were learning. And, you know, they learned Latin and Greek and they learned logic, rhetoric, how to argue, how to really dispassionately just present their views. And it was then that I realized there's a whole world out there. It's the world you're currently walking in, Heather, the world of people who understand the connection between who teaches our kids and what worldview they end up with. And it's part of the reason I wrote my book. I actually have a whole section on resources and Susan Bauer's books are in there because if you want your child to be able to think, which means they can actually hold their views if you're there or not, it doesn't matter if you get hit by a bus, your kids are going to have their views and they're going to be able to defend not just political things, but the faith then you have to teach them these concepts. And when you start young, when you start right away, it's like giving your child a suit of armor. It's like literally arming them up for the world that unfortunately continues to get worse and worse. So, you know, when you talked about the worldview, I got a little chill because you should be giving seminars, Heather. Teach the other moms in your age group, especially with the kids your age. Tell them anyone can homeschool And you want to be the one to pour the worldview into your children because you know it will be one that comes from love and not from trying to influence them politically or all these other reasons that people are in education right now. They're not there for kids. They're there because they have something they're trying to accomplish. So I'm so excited that you are out there at IWF, IWF IWF.org, Independent Women's Forum, and also advocating on radio and just so much great work. And now 
homeschooling. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for what you do and spreading the message out there and helping people understand. And, and being on the school board is so impressive. I mean, those meetings are insufferable. <laughs> and so for you to have to have gone through that, I mean, gosh, you know, we still have to keep fighting for the public schools. So but thank you for even being involved in that world as well. We need you on that wall. We need more people to keep fighting the fight. Well, it's the same as homeschooling, Heather. Anybody can be on a school board. When I was on school board, I actually couldn't believe they let me on. I think they probably felt the same way after I'd been on there for about a year. They're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we let her on here. But it was, in my opinion, if you're not going to homeschool, then you have to be on your kid's school board of education. You have to be running the PTO. You have to be volunteering in the classroom. So you have to pick what thing you're willing to spend your time doing because being a parent is more than a full-time job. But you can do that. You can work. The remote aspect that you described is actually a blessing from God, especially for working moms. And the bigger deal is people always say, I'd do anything for my kids. Well, would you serve on a school board? Would you volunteer in their classroom three days a week to make sure the teacher knows they can't pull the wool over your eyes? Would you be the parent to check out all of the pornographic books from their library and never return them? Would you be the one to go read the books at the school board meeting? Don't say you do anything for your kid. You take a bullet for your kid. No one's asking you to take a bullet. What we're asking for is for you to actually be there and do the work like you're doing, Heather. So I'm so excited. Congratulations on moving and getting into a more friendly neighborhood, getting away from the leftists. No offense to them, but you're going to be much happier having neighbors who don't care about what your politics are and are much more interested in what you bake and you know whether or not you want to meet up at the fence and talk about the neighborhood leaf collection, because those are the issues that matter. Exactly. And for people who want to have their child to have a biblical education, it really, I mean, I'm glad that you were able to to find that for your family. And, you know, it's going to lead to healthy marriages and a healthy nation. And we really need that. We desperately need that. It feels like the crazy people are running every major institution. And so we need the next generation to change the world. I think our true view of Christian life is not whether our kids just get to heaven, but also whether they bring heaven to earth. And so we need to be a part of that story. I think the homeschool movement, I think the private school movement, I think the continued fight in public schools, I think we still need to keep fighting for all of those and so that our that next generation has a chance. So thank you for all the fight that you're doing, Stacey. <sighs> We're just all doing our little bit, which back in the day, they used to say, you know, in in the 40s and 50s, they'd say, just doing my bit. And everybody had a bit that they were, quote unquote, doing. And that's how our country got to be so great. That's how we won world wars. That's how we dominated and created the best free market system ever known to man. And all we have to do now is that same thing. And I think your conversation with me today is a perfect example of how that gets done in a reasonable and manageable way. Basically, you're orchestrating an entire radio show and homeschooling little kids and doing all the other mom stuff and working for IWF. You have a lot of hats, but you're pulling it off beautifully. And that means we can all do it. All of us can choose as women in America. We're kind of blessed that we get to choose to work own things, run businesses, mom, full-time. You know, we have such a great slate of options. So Heather Hunter, so glad to have you here. I look forward to hearing your programming that you orchestrate over at WMAL. Hello to all of the friends there, and thank you for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you so much, Stacey. Appreciate it. 
All right. And that was Heather Hunter. She is so fantastic. And I think one of the points that she was making about doing all of these things is that it's real for all of us and we can all do it. She's a writer, broadcaster, and less visiting fellow at IWF.org, Independent Women's Forum. Thanks for joining us today. And I'll talk to you again soon on another podcast. God bless. <laughs>